Welcome to The V-Hive, a platform focused on women's intimate health. With weekly episodes from the field's top practitioners, we discuss all of the things you've always thought about but never wanted to talk about. On this podcast, we are making the highest quality information on the most beloved part of your body accessible, understandable, and implementable. I'm your host, Hannah Matluck, and I started this platform as a result of my own experience with chronic pelvic pain. Throughout the years I spent healing my body, I became overwhelmingly interested and passionate about these topics and have made it my mission to create awareness and education on the complexities of the female body. This episode is sponsored by Materna Medical, the creators of Millie. Millie is the first vaginal trainer with millimeter by millimeter adjustable sizing, built in low and high vibration frequencies, silicone coating, and a transport friendly and discreet charging case. Now, women of all ages can be empowered to overcome vaginal penetration difficulties in a comfortable, easy, and convenient way so that they can finally enjoy sexual activities and improve their intimate health. If you are interested in learning more about this product, you can visit their website, www.millieforher, that's spelled M-I-L-L-I-F-O-R-H-E-R.com, and all VHive listeners can receive $25 off their first Millie by using the code VHive25 at checkout. Thank you again to Materna Medical for supporting this week's episode. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Michael Krishman. He is a doctor of sexual medicine, a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist, and a clinical sexual counselor and author. Dr. Krishman has devoted his career to helping patients and their partners overcome sexual health challenges and experience a higher quality of physical intimacy. He is also a specialist in survivorship medicine and provides life coaching and care plans to optimize the health and wellness of patients with chronic diseases and cancer. Thank you for being on the VHive today. Thanks so much for, for having me and uh, for addressing so many very vital healthcare issues and how they are impacting female health and female sexual health in general. Yeah, and thank you for the amazing work that you do as well it's really very much needed so i'm excited to have you here and just to have you talk more about your experience and your work and all of the information that you have for everyone listening so let's first just start by you giving us a little bit more of a background into how you got into this field well i um was finding when i became an OBGYN, the more questions that I asked about sexuality, sexual health, um, the more I discovered that patients were very distressed and they were really suffering in silence. And I also learned that I was probably ill-equipped in medical school um, and my early training to address these issues. So I subsequently went back and got uh, extensive sexuality training. I became a sexual counselor, a sex therapist. I did um, some didactic courses and really it's just developed from there. Um, And I think the big issue for me was the more questions that I asked about the impact of uh, sexual health concerns or sexual health problems, the more I understood that uh, many women are coming in 
um, for a variety of conditions, but they also may have uh, very impactful sexual pain syndromes or other sexual health concerns that are really impactful and they're really not being addressed. Mm -hmm. I want to first start by talking about your just the day-to-day work experience in your office and what conditions you treat, how you treat them, and what the typical, if you have a typical patient, you see is. Well, right now, Hannah, I have um, three clinical practices. I have a private practice. I have two high-risk breast ovarian centers. Um, So I really see a lot of women who have chronic medical conditions um, that um, are coming in. And I'm a tertiary referral, so Mm -hmm. I address sexual health, quality of life, survivorship issues. So uh, very often I'm seeing a lot of women who may be in the menopause, who may have vaginal dryness, pain syndromes. I'm also a tertiary referral for vulvar disorders and vulvar pain syndromes um, as well. And we also see a wide variety of uh, women who have a variety of cancer diagnoses as well. It's not only the gynecological uh, ovarian uterus uh, or fallopian tube cancer, but really general cancers uh, as well. So we, we certainly see a whole variety and a whole gamut of patients. And very often we're collaborating with other healthcare um providers in the community, whether they're um, routine generalists in the OBGYN field, internal medicine, pelvic floor therapists, or even pain specialists as well. Mm -hmm. And in terms of women who have pelvic pain, such as, you know, vulvodynia, vaginismus, interstitial cystitis, what does this patient look like in your practice? And like, what are the main things that you really do off the bat to try and help them? Well, I think the big issue is once they come to see me, mm-hmm. they're very, they're exceptionally frustrated. Again, I have patients from all over California, but I also have patients that travel from other parts of the United States to come see me because I'm a tertiary referral. But I think the commonality is by the time women come to see me, they are exceptionally frustrated. They have seen a variety of doctors, um, healthcare professionals with a variety of different treatment regimens and they really feel like their symptoms have been neglected or inadequately uh, evaluated or assessed. So there's a level of frustration um, uh, with these patients because they very often seek a variety of professionals that may be ill-equipped to address these issues. So first and foremost, I think we, we talk about setting realistic expectations. We, we uh, do an evaluation and assessment, and we really build an effective healthcare team, which may include a urologist, urogynecologist, a pain specialist, a pelvic floor physical therapist. Uh, and again, try to coordinate all of these in a sequential manner so the patient really feels that they are being taken care of adequately. Mm-hmm. In addition, we really um, strive to have very close surveillance and close follow-up. That's been one of the, the, the main predictors of success. So if you have a patient, you know, uh, Hannah, who has 
um, some problems in terms of sexual pain syndromes and you do an intervention and then you say come back in three months, it's very challenging to make headway. Right. Um, so I'm from the philosophy that you know we have to see these patients pretty regularly. We have to individualize their patient management and really practice pre- precision medicine. Um, and by precision medicine, what I mean is really looking at the patient in totality, looking at their lifestyle, looking at their finances, maybe because some people can't afford certain uh, interventions, um, and really, really develop a unique treatment paradigm that is specific for them um, and incorporate good medicine and a variety of specialists as well, but also have close surveillance to ensure that they stay motivated and stay interested in terms of uh, regaining and reclaiming their sexuality. Mm-hmm. So how do you do this? Like, does a patient come and see you every other week for the first three months? Well, I think it really depends. Usually we do an assessment, we'll do some initial evaluation, we'll, you know, I think um, very often, you know, they'll return uh, between three and four weeks. We want to give them some time to do some interventions. We uh, first strive to revive, restore, replenish the tissues. We want them to be uh, elastic. We want them to have good ridges and folds, elasticity, pliability. We want to address any muscle spasm. Um, And uh, then for the pain syndromes, we may incorporate uh, a variety of different dilators uh, to help them really reconnect the brain and the body. Mm -hmm. And You know, I'm fortunate I have several articles out uh, on vaginal dilators and although they have been used in clinical medicine and have been used extensively in the sexuality field, there's very little that is published in terms of um, the, the how and the what uh, in terms of how dilators should be used. So again, vaginal dilators are inserts, they go in the vagina and very often they help a woman reconnect her brain and body. So when a woman may experience sexual pain syndromes, her brain may be you know, hypervigilant and monitoring her body and then there's reflex tightening of the muscles. So by her using vaginal inserts that are progressive in terms of um, diameter, she may become acclimated. And mm-hmm. in addition, I see a lot of cancer patients that may have intravaginal radiation that may uh, impact the caliber of the vagina the the elasticity the vaginal dilators may help also in terms of increasing or stretching the vaginal tissues as well so again um it's really a a incorporating a variety of different uh, therapeutics whether they're over the counter moisturizers or lubricants or using minimally absorbed local vaginal hormones or non-hormones to help evaluate and assess and revive those tissues. But also we're going to do mechanical dilation and we're also going to incorporate um, pelvic floor physical therapy, which is an integral part of the overall treatment. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the mind-body connection. I know that this is something you do a lot of work with and that you think is important in in healing pelvic pain, whatever kind it is. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about the mind-body connection and how you address that in your practice? So very often what we're seeing is that women come in and they're very uh, upset, they're very frustrated, um, and you know they've experienced pain syndromes. And for them, they have had issues where there's almost a hypervigilance and a hyper uh, attending of and monitoring the vaginal tissue. And there may be a reflex uh, tightening or spasm of the vagina in anticipation of any kind of uh, penetration, whether it's um, a digit, um, an accessory, or their male partner or what have you. Um, so there's this almost this disconnect between um, body and how it's acting and reacting and what is going on in their brain. Uh, so they're monitoring their sexual activity rather than being in the moment mm -hmm. of uh, monitoring and experiencing the joy and the sens sensual pleasure and monitoring their bodily um, responses. They're mo much more focused on the anticipatory pain. Um, so there's a disconnect. So mm -hmm. when you use, um, when you, when you, when you revive and restore and replenish those tissues, and when you um, incorporate dilators into that paradigm as well, then um, you have a better opportunity to help reconnect the brain and body. That the, uh, with, for lack of a better description, that the woman becomes acclimated to understand that the vagina is not a terrible uh, place, that there can be something inside the vagina that um, can lead to sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's really important to recognize that, you know, sometimes these things can uh, help. And there's a variety of different dilators as well. And I know we've talked about that as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, that's an important concept to uh, remember as well. Not all dilators are created equal. Right. Um, so, um, you know, if you don't mind, I can go over a few, a little yeah. bit of those uh -huh. details about the dilators as well. Yep. So, you know, there are a lot of dilators. They come in a variety of different colors, shapes, sizes, texture. Uh, they come individual, they come in sets. And again, there hasn't really been very good data or science for, um, you know, to say which mode, which modality is better than the other. Um, so, uh, again, you know, I think that's an important concept. And again, there is really two differential kinds of dilators. There's, um, those that are sequential, meaning it's kind of like climbing steps. There's three or four sizes and you progress, um, through one to the next and it's like climbing stairs. And then there is, uh, the milli-dilator, which is the latest, um, dilator on the market which is um named as such because it increases one millimeter at a time so again this transition from one size to the other could be uh very different maybe it's climbing steps and that might be challenging for some people and maybe it's like going on a conveyor belt which is a gradual increase in diameter with the milli which is um beneficial for some so again um I did most of my work 
with the milidilator, and we really came up with some very interesting results that people really preferred these to static dilators. They mm-hmm. used the vibration feature. They uh, used the um, they transitioned from a medical therapeutic use of the dilator to more of a sensual sexual uh, aspect, where many people use the dilator and get acclimated before they had intercourse. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Again, um, you know, I think the bottom line is that uh, there's a lot of opportunity to help women um, with a lot of different um, um, devices and medications that are currently available and approved. Um, And again, I think we just have to, um, you know, talk about the situation with patients, create comfortable environments so they're willing and able to um, disclose such personal information. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And I also, you know, in combination with pelvic floor physical therapy and dilators, I also think that therapy plays a huge role, whether it's talk therapy, sex therapy, um, even like meditation and mindfulness practices. Do you suggest some of these things to your patients as well? Yes. And, you know, because I'm a sex therapist and sex counselor, I look at the holistic approach and um, my approach is the biopsychosocial model. And Mm -hmm. I really believe that there is a medical aspect to um, what is going on with chronic pain, the veins, arteries, nerves, the tissue, um, as well as your reaction to these uh, influencers that are going on um, as well. So I think it's really important to recognize that this is um, something that is really an important part to integrate. Mm -hmm. And again, I also ascribe to the model from conservative to aggressive. Now, what that means is there's a lot of different opportunities to manage. And you think of it as the the woman who has sexual pain, she walks into my room and I say, imagine here on my right, there's a big war chest uh, of a lot of different techniques that we can use to help combat the sexual pain, whether it's moisturizers and lubricants or topical lidocaine or intravaginal Valium or physical therapy or or the milli dilator or plastic dilators. Um, And again, we have to give them hope that there's a lot of different opportunities, medications, treatment paradigms that can help their overall um, uh, condition. Mm -hmm. So it it, it is really an important concept to discuss with them as well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it's absolutely incredible that you're also a sex therapist in addition to a doctor. Um, when a patient comes into your office, do you, like, how does that work? They see you for a consultation for their pelvic pain. Do you also do therapy with them or do you usually send them out to weekly therapy? Well, I think it, it really depends. And usually, you know, it depends on how the patient comes to me. Sometimes they're coming specifically for therapy. Right. They have a medical doctor, uh, an OBGYN who's managing their condition. Sometimes I will manage their medical condition and refer out to other sex therapists in the uh, in the uh in the community. Mm-hmm. But remember, um, I, 
I take my time with these patients. A new visit is at least 60 minutes. A follow-up is 30 minutes. Um, and just because you're a medical doctor and you know prescribing doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do some mini um, cognitive behavioral therapy interventions. You can do a whole variety of things to help patients um, you know, in terms of counseling techniques, even during the medical exam. Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, sometimes they come directly and I, I consult with their providers um, and say, this is what I would suggest. Uh, sometimes they've had exams um, and they wanna keep their OBGYN or pain specialist or what have you, they just wanna talk about the impact. So even though you are doing a medical evaluation because I have the background in counseling and therapy, you can certainly do a lot of um, techniques and give behavioral suggestions. Um, I also do a lot of bibliotherapy or recommending certain uh, interventions for, um, for patients as well. So, you know, a patient will either see me as a medical patient or a therapy patient. Uh, and we have a, a very good network of both uh, clinicians and uh, sex counselors in the community that we can refer out to. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask, do you think that everyone with pelvic pain, I mean, even everyone with chronic pain has some sort of mind-body disconnect, you know, in, in one form or another, just because they've been kind of living out of their body for so long? Right. And I, I think I think you have to explore that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's uh, realistic to understand that different people react and act differently depending on their current situation. So, you know, I think every woman is different. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just I don't want to generalize. I think that we need to become educated about the experience and understand that it's not always, you know, pelvic pain is not something that's experienced all the time uh, in the same fashion. Yeah. Also, remember that very often they feel um, uh, that they may not have been adequately listened to. And yes. that's very often that their symptoms are minimized either by partners or um or they're minimized by their clinicians. So I think it's something to really think about um, mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for people listening as to, you know, besides, like, I really think that therapy is so important and so helpful and can be really, truly life-changing, but is there any advice that you have that's kind of more tangible for, for people to take away right now? Um, I think some of the key points are, you know, um, when I speak with healthcare professionals, I say, you know, ask, you can't treat a problem if you don't know that one exists. So right. include questions about sexuality um, in your routine evaluations, in your problem evaluations, in your annual exam. Uh, these problems are really pervasive and they're... Uh, quite frequent and very often, you know, swept under the rug. The other issue that I also tell patients is be empowered. Um, tell your healthcare professional he or she is not a magician. They're not a mind reader. They cannot um, 
recognize uh, problems without you verbalizing them. Mm-hmm. And, and it takes a lot of courage. The other issue I think is really important is sexual health and general health are very much intertwined. And women need to understand and feel empowered that their sexuality is a vital component to their overall general health and well-being. Mm. And what that means is it's okay to get a second opinion. Um, It's okay to discharge your clinician and find another one. There are healthcare professionals, there are pelvic pain networks, there are um, physicians like myself throughout the country who have devoted themselves to address sexuality concerns for both men and women. And I think it's important to to realize that it's okay to find uh, others and build an effective healthcare team that will address issues that are very important to you specifically. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. and. You know, if someone doesn't feel comfortable with their doctor, doesn't connect with their doctor, doesn't feel like they're receiving the care and attention and help that they deserve, we spoke about this, you know, before recording, but you have some really good advice on how one can go about, quote unquote, breaking up with a doctor. Right. Well, I think it's really important to... Um, be true to your own emotion and your own feelings. And if you're feeling like your needs are not being met or you're not being addressed properly, um, you know, it's important to verbalize that and kind of talk about those things. And really it's um, medicine now is very much about shared decision-making where you work together with your clinician to make a good management plan. Mm -hmm. And again, if you're feeling uncomfortable, if you feel like you cannot get a follow-up appointment or they're not um, really attentive and interested or they are not offering you a diversity of therapeutics, um, then I think it's time to research. There's a lot of different organizations. You can go online. There are sexuality societies. And again, um, I think there's a network there of interested providers. Um, And again, um, just um, requesting medical records is not telling the professional that your uh, relationship has been uh, terminated. I think that you have to write a letter and say like, you know, thank you very much. The less, the better, short and sweet. Thank you very much. I will be transferring my care to Dr. X, Y, and Z. I appreciate uh, transferring medical records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So short, short and sweet, uh, very professional, um, and then go from there. Yeah. I mean, I did it a few years ago, and it was, you know, it was something I was really proud of and, and happy that I did because I knew in my gut that there was a better doctor out there for me. And um, I just think it's really important to do regardless of how long you've been seeing them for, you know, even if it's a month, if it's five years, like, you know, when the time is right to move on. And I think it's really important for women and men to listen to, to themselves and their instinct and know when they need to make a decision to get another opinion or, or get help from someone else because it can really change the way that you feel every day. Right, of course. Um, the next thing that I want to talk about is gender bias in medicine and male doctors versus female doctors and your take on this whole world. 
Um, well, I really believe that if you are a good healthcare professional and empathic and you listen to your patients and you try to partner with them, it doesn't really matter the sex of the physician. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have females uh, patients that transfer to me every week and say, you know, my female provider was not listening. She was not compassionate. She minimized my um, symptoms and concerns. And it was very frustrating for me. Um, so uh, again, I think for some women, the sex of the page of the of their clinician may be very important and for others it may not and again i think you have to be true as a patient to your own feelings of your healthcare provider you have to you know understand what works for you mm-hmm. um and i think that's perfectly reasonable um you know yeah. a, um as well yeah so um you know i think that's an important concept to you know, also um, remember. Mm-hmm. So I've had a few doctors on the podcast who just going back to the therapy aspect and, and the mental health work that you do, I've had a few OBGYNs who have similar training, but I'm always so curious to know, and I want your opinion on why this is so rare, because it seems like the most important thing a doctor, especially a gynecologist, could have training in? You know, I think that we are victims of our training, you know, and I think that, you know, overall, um, remember, there is so much to cover in medicine. You know, the average medical student maybe gets four to six hours of sexuality training throughout the the entire course of medical school. Um, And the same holds true for residency in OBGYN, but we are making progress. We are making headway. You know, I uh, certainly um, have a variety of, um, you know, professionals that come and, you know, there's organizations. We certainly, um, you know, can can address those issues mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I think we're, we're definitely changing the climate, but, you yeah. know, slow it I think is the most important thing to remember. Yeah. Are there any resources that you have to recommend for everyone listening, such as a book or a website, a podcast, anything really? Well, you know, I, of course, I think that, you know, um, there's a variety of different resources. Some of the dilator companies have good educational materials. Uh, whether it's Millie or Soul Source, I think they have good information. I think pelvic floor physical therapy organizations certainly are critical. Uh, there is a female sexuality um, um, organizations, the American College of OBGYN uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also online um, support groups. So I think that's really important um, for um, for uh, patients to know that there are a lot of organizations out there that they can find a provider um, as well. Yeah. And where can everyone contact you? Um, well, I am located in Southern California. Um, my website is thesexualhealthcenter.com. 
Uh, and again, uh, it may be a little old fashioned, but I prefer talking to patients on the phone, the phone number here, 949-764-9300. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share all of your information and wisdom with us. I think everyone will really benefit from listening to this conversation. So thank you again so much for being here. I appreciate you having me and uh, thank you for all the good work that you're doing to help promote uh, women's sexual health and wellness. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, if you want to contact the VHive, you can email us at info at You can go to our website, www.thevhive.com and you can follow us on Instagram at the VHive. This podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare professional services, including the giving of medical advice. During the episodes, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should seek the assistance of their healthcare provider for any concerns or questions they have.